generation dwells here. And then we moving by the pack, so we moving them. And even if you don't, then you do, cause you cool with them. They be like, I only went to school with them. Welcome to Color Correction, a GCC podcast about race and faith from the perspective of a black girl, an Asian guy, and a white guy too. I'm Andrew, I use he, him pronouns, I'm Asian. I'm Bethany, I use she, her pronouns, and I'm black. And I'm Chris, I use he, him pronouns, and I am white. So, we... white. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I don't know, Chris, I don't know if you should assert yourself like that. (laughs) (laughs) I am white. White. (laughs) Um, um, we'd like to start off our podcast... I don't know. How it's it's the first it's the first real episode. It's not even the first episode of 2021 if you count that minisode. But it's our first real episode. Oh, yeah, that's true. Mhm. And um yeah, I don't know. It's been we we've uh we've got a bunch of stuff lined up. I guess we we normally start our podcast by um hearing of what people have said to us in uh in a in a segment that we like to call speak up. Uh, and I guess we'll just jump right into that. Um, oh, do we have a letter? We do here. I'm looking at something that came through our website here. Yeah, so it came to our inbox here. Cool. Let me just let me just read this. Um, subject: Ku Klux Christians. Also, people really liked. People really dug that episode title, Chris. That credit goes to you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, okay. Yes, I'm glad to hear Beth state that she saw people who felt unheard when she saw the Capitol building being rushed on January 6th. As I reflect, I can't help but keep coming back to that place. In such a light, these insurrectionists are no different than the people who took to our nation's streets in 2020. When people don't feel heard, they don't feel valued. In such a position, individuals are left to find self-value in performance or in association. The difference, a huge one, in my opinion is the history that led each group of people to their respective movements, as well as how each population is able to engage the current state of affairs. I was going to say, I was like, where is this going? Uh Right. Uh, To be clear, I in no way condone or support the acts of January 6th, but feel like quickly and stereotypically vilifying them won't foster the work of healing. If I need to understand why the protests happened, I too need to understand why this happened as well. Um, Mm. So... Well, what do you think about that, Beth? Yeah, no, I don't agree that they're no different from uh, the people who took to our nation's streets in the summer of 2020, which is what they're referring to. Mm-hmm. Um, the difference is that these people were fighting to maintain the status quo. Um, and the people that were protesting um, for George Floyd were fighting to change the status quo uh, that asserts that certain people's humanity, their humanity, black humanity Mm -hmm. uh, is not recognized, right? So the people that were fighting for Black Lives Matter protesters and folks that were fighting for George Floyd were fighting for the like morality and the noble cause of humanity and the insurrectionist 
um, we're fighting against people having their humanity recognized. Um, so I think those are very vastly different causes. And I think that we have to understand those vastly different causes, right? When you're fighting to maintain the status quo because you feel like your humanity is going to be taken because we're getting mm-hmm. some equality, I can empathize with you, but your cause is not the same. Maybe I was a little too gentle and graceful. You were very graceful in that. In defense of the peop- the person that wrote in, they do acknowledge that there's a difference, even though they said in one sense there was no difference. They do acknowledge there's a difference between oh, okay. between these people. I mean, I, I think it's fair I got to say stuck that there in the first sentence. Yeah, two yeah, lines right. down, they say the difference, a huge one in my opinion, is the mm. history that led each group of people to their respective moments as well. I do feel like responding by dehumanizing them is a problem, right? Like mm. these people are people too, um, and there's something happening for them. And I think we need to recognize and work through what's happening for them. I just don't think people of color are the ones that have to do that. And I also think people of color aren't the ones that have to be burdened with working that out. Right. Mm-hmm, like, totally. I think that's the point I was trying to make in the mini-sode. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the mini-sode, you did, you did express a need for empathy that I, I thought was extremely gracious. I think that's what this particular listener is connecting to. Yeah, the empathy. Right. But those are vastly different causes. I just want to keep on emphasizing that. Right. So the subject that we want to talk about today, specifically the subject of the Bible, first of all, we already recorded a fantastic episode of this that was, uh, that we, we all agree, um, was attacked by, by Satan. Yes. (laughs) We all have agreed on that. We did. That's just, that's just what happened. That's just subjective. Yo, that was our best episode. Yeah, sorry, that guys. That was such a good fucking episode. Uh-huh. And yeah. so um, we'll do our best to talk about the same subject here. It's funny because we did that before the Capitol Riot episode. And then we got together to plan the slate of episodes for this year. And I originally was thinking about framing the episode of the Bible as kind of in response to the Capitol riots. In, sen- oh, in the sense of like, what do we do when when the insurrectionists at the Capitol were also using the Bible as their creed, when they Mm -hmm. were also claiming that Jesus is on their side, what do we do with that? And then Beth, you said something really interesting, which is like that what you liked about our first take of this episode was that it had nothing to do with whiteness. Whiteness. Yeah. It was all about our experience with the Bible and our experience with Jesus. And it had nothing to do. And once you said that, I was like, you know what? You're right. Because I feel like so much of my experience of the Bible and faith and Jesus and just being a minority person in this country is distinguishing myself from like those people. Yes, Mm, from white supremacy, right? right? Like how do I find my place in the Bible? How do I find my relationship with Jesus from a non-white supremacist standpoint that like we've been given as as a foundation to our Christianity. I feel like if you grew up in the evangelical church in the 90s. Right. But if all you're doing is defining yourself in opposition to that thing, you're still centering that thing. Mm -hmm. Right. In some way, like whiteness there is still the center. Mm -hmm. Um, I I realized how like, oh, like I'm still doing that, including in how I originally wanted to approach this subject. Mm -hmm. So instead of doing that, um, I think we should do what we had originally done, um, which is talk about our own experience of 
specifically the Bible, this weird text, which has been a part of all of our lives and continues to be now. And I guess mm -hmm. deal with this question of why do we find it relevant to our lives now? How does it empower us in the work that we do? And why is it useful, if it is useful even? Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, all of us have gone through this experience of reevaluating what's important to us in our adult lives, what we can keep and what we can throw away. Um, and all of us have things that we've thrown away and all of us have things that we've kept. And I guess uh, we should start this conversation by starting with what, is, what was your, how did you experience the Bible growing up, basically? What was the Bible to you? Mm-hmm. The Bible for me was framed as a historical text. Um, and I, I also joke that like for the first 10 years of my life, I had a British accent because, um, <laughs> I was homes, I was uh -huh. homeschooled and reading the Bible every day was how I learned how to read. Um, wow. Yeah. My mom like made that a part of our curriculum. Um, so like reading the biblical text from like a historical standpoint was my introduction and foundation. Wait, uh, why would that give you a British accent? Because <laughs> it was, oh, I'm sorry. It was the King James version, of course. Okay. Because so not just a British the accent, but like an version. old time, but like a Shakespearean British yeah. accent. Okay, yeah. So you, you read the Bible in the King James growing up? Yes. Now, my mom wasn't as committed as her sisters to only reading the King James Version, but she's very obviously, if you're making your like six-year-old read the King James Version of the Bible, you do hold it to some esteem. That's wild. I mean, why the King James Version? It's so inaccessible. It is really inaccessible. I don't know, but I know- I'm, um, I'm glad to hear two cousin. other people say that. Thank you. I never found it to be that yeah. easy to read. Who it's very it's poetic. Oh, it's beautiful. Of course. But it's not accessible at all. I can remember my cousins explicitly saying to me, so we read the King James Version. I think my mom might have liked the King James Version because it was poetic. But she also um, really liked the NIV Version. Um, oh, of course. Yeah. most. Chris, what did you read? NIV? Oh, definitely. 100%. Oh, and not New only did I read the NIV, but when I think of the Bible, I still think of, um, let me send you guys this picture. The New Adventure Bible, published in 1994, with this crazy holographic cover. <gasps> I think, I, think I know this exactly one. What you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, on the Squadcast chat. I do gotcha, remember gotcha. that. So, this wasn't um, what I was picturing at first, but yeah. But I remember my cousins explicitly saying to me one time that mm -hmm. the only, the real version of the Bible was the King James version of okay, the Bible. Okay. Which is so silly. Um, there are people that believe that as a matter of dogma, King James onlyists. I think the reason that I never came around <laughs> that they're called, that's what they're called. I, I think the reason <laughs> that I never came around to that kind of thinking or that that never even got close to penetrating wh whatever I was doing was because I grew up in a multilingual household. Um, right. So my grandfather was a, was a minister and he would preach like he he preached. He read the Bible in Taiwanese and he's he preached it in Taiwanese. Um, mm. And like. For me, still, like, hearing somebody pray in Mandarin or in Taiwanese is still, like, uh, makes me, it still, like, brings up weird, like, kid-like feelings for me because mm, I, mm -hmm. that's the context that I remember it, hearing my grandfather do it. Um, so, for me, it was always very clear, like, these are, tr these are translations. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and, like, to the, to the point of, like, the King, King James onlyists, 
or whatever you call them. Are those are those those kinds of squabbles um, in the like in Mandarin language trans- translations as well? I mean, there are always there are always discussions about like what's a more accurate way to translate to translate things. But uh, yeah, so for me, like the idea that these were always translations, and be, probably because of that, like the exact wording of, of Bible verses was never that important to me. Uh, it's not important to me. Uh, you guys have heard me translate the Bible. My translation of the Bible is re- are always I prefer, ridiculous. I prefer your paraphrase. I mean, you should publish. I was that. just gonna say <laughs> it, like. And it's on par with everything else that you should have the message by Bethany (laughs) in audiobook form. That's what what we should. It's called the last version of the Bible you'll ever need. (laughs) And it starts with me like, "Hey y'all, I'm going to talk to you about Jesus, and this is the shit that Jesus said." Ready? That's uh how I would start it. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I mean, I relate to what you're saying in terms of um, the Bible being a historical text. I think Mm -hmm. for me um, and in my upbringing, Chris, you can probably relate to this. It's the idea not just of the Bible as a historical text, but the Bible as an infallible source of truth. Yeah. Um, I was I was thinking, Beth, maybe and maybe you as well, Andrew, did you did anyone ever? call it um like an acronym the bible as an acronym is like the basic instructions before leaving earth did you ever hear that phrase no i've never heard oh, that I, that's I funny that. that brings back memories yes i have yeah. heard that um basic wrong on so many levels before, before leaving, leaving earth. earth okay right first of all not very basic most of it is <laughs> right <not laughs> right totally and, like uh, uh, and, uh, the vast majority of it has nothing to do with before leaving earth <laughs> And it, it, it betrays a certain um, focus, right, um, mm-hmm. on, like, the, the life after this. Oh, um, yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Also, like, that same, the same kind of focus in that kind of evangelical faith, where mm-hmm. the whole purpose of the Bible and Christian faith is... Uh, to get to heaven. And, right. and to save people. Mm-hmm. Um, because you don't and, want people to yeah. go to hell. Right, because you want to avoid, because you want to avoid hell. Um, right, and it's that, it's that, um, it is that mentality that the Bible and faith have, uh, that that the Bible and faith are purely concerned with spiritual matters, specifically matters of the afterlife. Mm-hmm. That I feel like we run into a lot in opposition to our work where we tr- continually insist that, no, the Bible has economic and social consequences for people living now, for yes. how we behave and how we treat people in our society. Mm-hmm. It's not yeah. just basic instructions before leaving Earth. It's not an insurance policy. Right. Um, but I'm probably getting ahead of myself here in terms mm-hmm. of where we are now. I guess I, I, I did mention how um, each of us have things that we have kept and things that mm-hmm. we have left behind yeah would you guys say that the bible is something that you've kept absolutely yes, yes. i think it's valuable um i think when you study the bible from a more holistic framework right like 
it is really valuable, right? And I think what has to be included with the Bible is context, like actual historical context. It's important to know what was happening at that time, what were the traditions at that time. You need to know history and kind of like the sociology of that time to really mm -hmm. understand it. And I also mm -hmm. think it's important um, to study the Bible in community with others so you can kind of like bounce ideas off of like a partner in your community. Um, but I feel like mm -hmm. those two things are really important. I think just reading the Bible straight, like I tried to read Revelations mm -hmm. and by the seventh beast that came out of something, uh -huh. I was like, what the fuck is going on? Right. And like, what type of shrooms was this writer taking? Mm -hmm. um, so I need to go back to, I still haven't gone I mean, back to Revelations, but I tried to just read it straight. Like I didn't do any sort of research. When you um, talk about reading, reading it. it straight, I mean like, I think more about like numbers. The book the, of the Bible the, numbers? Yeah, like the, the portion of the Bible that's genealogy. Okay, That's like in terms of book. how the boring Bible, it is. I forgot about. Yeah, it's really bad. <laughs> yeah, it's I really, mean, really bad. So, Bethany, here's my question for you, though. In terms, of, you talked about how when you were growing up, the Bible was purely a book of history for you. Now, mm -hmm. it's important for you to read it in the context of historical context and uh, with community. Like, why did you? How did you make that jump? How did I make that jump? I can remember having a discussion with my mom one time. I think when I went to high school, it was mm. explicitly stated that the Bible couldn't be used as a historical text, but a work of fiction. Um, and that was the first time that I considered you framing it that way. Um, and then I remember having a discussion with my mom after college, where we were kind of debating how the Bible cannot be used as a historical text. Um, it, we went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And finally, she goes, all right, Bethany, everything you're saying is right. I wanted to see how well I could argue with you. <laughs> like, okay. She just wanted to argue with me for fun. But uh -huh. I don't I think the I think the fact that it was presented to me as like, I can't look at it as a historical text, like I couldn't reference it in history papers. I think that was the start of me questioning and reconsidering how I could relate to the text mm -hmm. and what was the best way to relate to the text. Yeah, I get what I think I get what you're saying. You're talking about how you you read the text, but you read it. You were able to dissociate the text from reading it as literal truth, mm -hmm. um, which I, I get what you're saying. Uh, because, and I still like, do that. I also it, when I was growing up, I was also taught to treat the the script the, to, to treat the Bible as uh, literal truth. Um, so like a lot of my adolescence was spent like reading about how like the earth actually was created in six days mm. and Noah's mm -hmm. flood did cover the entire earth and how, um, you know, eventually uh, Jesus will come back riding on a horse and there will be, you know, human headed locusts that will bite people. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's no good. <laughs> I, I think, like, for similar to you, Beth, I think I, I, I got to a point where I could have just thrown thrown the Bible away. I yeah. could have just been like, this is, this is, none of this makes sense. This is not true. Right. Uh, right. But instead, I got to a point where I, like, I, it, it, I had to figure out how to read the Bible um, in a way where um, I had so to it figure out. speak to you. 
Right. I had to figure out a way that where I could continue to be relevant to me so it could yeah. speak to me. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I could have just barreled ahead and made my entire life made my entire life about how the earth was literally created in six days. Right. And there are people who, who's understanding the Bible have led them down that path. Mm-hmm. Um, but none of that speaks to me. Mm-mm. Like whether the earth was created in six days or not, it doesn't, has no relevance to my day-to-day experience and, and how it feels to be a human being in my skin. Mm-hmm. I don't really, I don't need that stuff. And right. I can understand how some people need it, right? Like it makes, it helps them to um, understand or envision the magnitude of God's power and greatness to think of like this vast earth being created in six days. So like I can understand uh, the the reason why somebody would relate to the Bible in that way. But mm-hmm. for me, it doesn't speak to me. I just don't need that shit. Yeah, I agree with that. And I also kind of, I, I would also say this to somebody who, I, I kind of pity somebody who needs the earth to be literally created in six days in order to conceptualize God's power. What if you make us lose some listeners with that statement? You know, <laughs> know. we're just yeah. here for the viewership. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like the idea, I mean. Andrew Hughes may not necessarily be those of <laughs> These are not the thoughts and the views of the Circle Mobile Act because Black Lives Matter. <laughs> I mean, like the Earth cre- being created 14 billion years ago doesn't like that doesn't demonstrate God's power to you. That's crazy. Yeah. Like I it, mean, looking at the Earth and the sky right now kind of demonstrates God's sure. power. The moon, to me. the moon tonight need... is seriously incredible. Just huge for for the record. Yeah. yeah. Is it? Yeah. Um, I don't. Yeah, I don't necessarily need those stories. Yeah, no, I, that that is that's a good point. Like one one day on this planet is is proof enough of of God's power. Like mm-hmm. the yeah, I I think the thing that I would add when we like I, I don't know whether or not to take the the origin stories in the Bible at their at their literal word, word and I, I I don't think that's how they were intended. I don't think so. When they either. were written, um, one of the things that we we I feel like like Christian culture sort of revels about Jesus in particular is his is the way he brings in allegory and symbolism into his word to breathe truth um, and like and and contextualize the the work he's doing in the kingdom of God. He uses parables all over the place. And and the parables alone are are these beautiful stories that you can continually go back to um, for new and deeper meanings. Mm-hmm. But to but to discount all the other portions of the Bible where that takes place, so that you can have a factual work, it really limits us and and our ability to. Um, like think at that level of allegory and symbolism, mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. and to and to still like um, reap truth from the text, even though it's right. not literal. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not, it's not meaningless. It's not valueless, and it's not exactly. not true. Right. Yeah, I get what you're saying. So yeah, Jesus's parables are meant to be read as parables. Um, similarly, other genres. The Bible is a collection of different books from different genres. 
I mean, for instance, the Psalms are poetry. There are mm -hmm. people that read the Psalms and try to glean facts about, you know, metaphysics and or, or even, sure. you know, actual physics. A lot of flat earthers are really into Psalms. Um, really? <laughs> yeah. Why? I don't know why I'm mentioning flat earthers so much this today. This is the I second apologize. time. <laughs> I, um, because, but... Um, you know, if you if you read the if you read the Bible like that, instead of reading instead of reading the Psalms as poetry, as the experience of very of very specific people having their own specific experiences of God, you miss the point. I guess mm -hmm. is what I'm saying. That's what you're saying, right, Chris? Yeah. Well, and and you limit your own capacity to understand. I think I think right. even more like I, I think you actually damage your own depth in that in that sort of a, a process. Chris, how would you answer this question, though? Did you, if you ever feel you, you moved from one kind of understanding to another of the Bible? And what did that look like for you? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I certainly don't believe the book of Genesis, like the, the creation story, as a, as a historical event. Um, that mm -hmm. hasn't always been true for me. Um, and even now, I, I feel like I'm saying that like some great peril to my faith like i i feel like i'm just like be, being like so liberal in this moment like there there's still a lot of that like um early understanding of the bible and christianity that like i'm grappling with to even like say these things out loud like yeah genesis is like it is intended to showcase the like power I think more importantly, the creativity, um, mm -hmm. the um, this this like this symbiosis that's already happening between God and His creation. Like there's mm -hmm. there's like so much really good stuff in there that you don't have to take literally, but is still mm -hmm. like literally true because God mm -hmm. is that big and magnanimous and generous. Um, mm -hmm. Boy, I'm saying a lot, but. I don't. I don't exactly know when that when that happened, mm -hmm. um, and I don't. I don't feel less of um, a follower of Jesus for having made mm -hmm. that transition. Like I don't. I don't feel. Um, I don't feel like that's me walking away from faith. I, I feel like that's just um, really God entering my understanding in a different way. Um, mm -hmm. Because for me, um, I, I really like reading, and, and the, the best parts of like high school for me were when we got to like start looking at works or their themes and their their symbolism and their me metaphor yeah. and allegory, and you, you began to like have this understanding of like how how people think and how how mm -hmm. like good thinking and good writing is a really tactile and like layered experience. Um, and so I, I keep going back to that. I just like, I, I think people, because we're, we're breathed and made in the image of God, we're able to understand things at a depth that, that, so that not every, everything in the Bible has to be taken at its literal word, and it's still spiritually true to its core. Mm -hmm. What you're describing brings up like two things to me. The first is when you're talking about like how we would read text in um, 
in high school, like I mm -hmm. think of Animal Farm. If you just read Animal Farm without any context, you'd be like, <laughs> why the fuck are these like pigs talking, <laughs> right? Like mm -hmm. it would just be like, it would be a good yeah. story, but it would be yeah. a really weird fucking story without yeah. any sort of context. And I feel like the Bible is like the only book that folks feel like you don't need any context for. Yeah. And that yeah. feels weird to me. Yeah. That is that that's a great point. The reason that people want to people want to believe that you don't need context for the Bible is because context is squishy. Because context speaks to truth that isn't necessarily objective. People want to believe that like what it says there in the text is all that's needed. Is all that's needed, right? And you don't mm -hmm. need anything else around it in order to understand it. And if you need stuff something else to understand it then then it's no longer true in and of itself and mm -hmm. that's scary to people mm -hmm. that is a really helpful observation i think that you just said andrew mm -hmm. Wait, which um, part? I, it can't be true if it has if it needs context like it has to just be like raw truth for mm -hmm. it to really be truth is that kind of um, what you're saying and i think about like that that actually like why i say that is that that helps me think about um the the context in which I, I learned the Bible. Um, sure. And I, and I think the point that a lot of, a lot of people were, were making and working with had to do with like, um, the fact that like so many of the people in my church are like, were like working class, um, which, which I think like came with like a little suspicion of, of education and and also like I think an, an acknowledgement which is true that like, um, because we are like reading God's words to us, we can understand them, and we don't need to go mm -hmm. like go to college. Like I, I think that was the resistance that was that was being built, but it almost was built to like too hard a a point. Well, I, like, I mean, I, to I get that. I also I think we have to acknowledge though that just you don't have to be an academic to understand context. Absolutely. Like when you it, like a, a working class class person reading the Bible is bringing their own context to the Bible. For instance, mm -hmm. like the fact that the Bible is sixty six books, there's a reason for that. There's contextual reasons for that, and it has to do mm -hmm. with history. Mm. Um, just even like the form of the Bible, like the fact that I was reading the New Adventure Bible with its holographic cover, like that's part of context. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the people that gave me that book and the place where I bought that book and the people that were helping me understand that book um, and the, the choices that the translators made, those, that's all context. Um, and the, all that context is helping me understand the text. Mm -hmm. It helps you connect to the text. Right. Like, uh, Circle has been doing these getting to know the Bibles, and I haven't been able to go to one in a while. I wish I could. But like Ben and Johnny, and it was different people, um, but I, the two I went to were led by Ben and Johnny. Um, mm -hmm. Like the way they broke down the way uh, some of the books of the Bible were written, I'm thinking, I think it was particularly a few books written by Paul or maybe somebody else, I can't remember. But they were like, you'll notice in this that they use XYZ language because they they grew up Jewish and they knew how to speak to their people. And mm -hmm. I was like, mind blown. Like, of course, if I wrote a book yeah. to be read by people, like they weren't thinking about us, you know, at that time, they couldn't imagine us in Philadelphia right now. But 
if I wrote a book of the Bible, it would definitely use language that spoke to the heart of people in Philadelphia right now. Mm -hmm. Like if I wrote a book of the Bible right now, I would definitely have symbolism that represented COVID-19 and that wild 22-year-old uh, that ha- that has Philly fighting COVID, the CEO of Philly fighting COVID, <laughs> and his greed and nonsense, right? Okay, and yeah, thousands yeah. of years from now, that wouldn't make sense. You would need the context to know why I was writing the way that I was. I want to I want to bring it back to the the heart of this. Uh, yeah, to how we relate. We got to bring right, yeah. it back to us. Okay, so the the whole point. Come we're on, talking yeah. about. You got it. All right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for the pressure. <laughs> the, what we're saying here is that um, no matter what, we bring context to the Bible or we read the Bible in context. Mm-hmm. But I think there's another point that has to be made here, mm-hmm. which is that the reason that all of us feel the Bible is relevant to us is because the Bible speaks to our context. Yes. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Look, because look at, I told you you could do it. All right, all right. It's still, it's still in the middle of it here. Still making the, still making the, the still parallel parking, not quite parked. Um, so, in that sense, when we deal with a with a sacred text, when mm-hmm. we deal with something that's inspired, mm-hmm. we are talking to it, and it is talking to us. Yes, you know. Absolutely. So yes. we're reading it and I'm trying to understand it in its context, but at the same time, like there's something about this thing that speaks to us in our context. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I guess my question here, I think it would be interesting to explore here. What is it about you? What is it? What, how does the Bible speak to you? Mm -hmm. What is it about the Bible that speaks to your context? Mm -hmm. For me, the Bible speaks to this um, pursuit and inherent right to liberation. Um, and for me, as a black woman who on multiple fronts is told that I don't deserve my humanity and I don't deserve uh, to be a liberated human, right? That I don't deserve to be free, that I don't deserve to be seen fully holy. The journey of Jesus and the journey of many other people throughout the Bible um, reinforces for me that that is my right and that that is um what I deserve to pursue in life, and that God wants that for me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I, in my in my 20s, um, I had a lot of, um, I was kind of at this, I was at this weird crossroads. I grew up in Colorado Springs, and I um, had also just like, I'd been reading a lot of um, books that like didn't make, like weren't part of like my experience, like the autobiography of Malcolm X or, um, mm-hmm. or like books from my childhood that, that talked about like what it was like to be black in the, in the forties that were like things that my teacher shared with us. So I, I, I had this, like, I, I was actually having a really hard time. Um, Oh, there's a word I'm looking for, but like my experience and, and the experiences of so many were so different. Um, but it, it looked like in Jesus and, and like his reach, like not only from like, going from God to man, but like reaching out across different contexts to include people. Mm-hmm. It, that seemed to me to be like the ongoing work. Like, so even if like I could have just stayed in my, my white world, I, I really felt led to do something else because I wanted to keep following Jesus, this person who up until the very end was making that, um, that reach to include people who the world had 
abandoned. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Bethany, have you ever thought about uh, looking into West African religions? <laughs> Why the fuck would you ask me that? Because I do remember <laughs> on Facebook. You do All this of a sudden, did this, did you this write... turn into like an infomercial? What the hell just happened? <laughs> do you? Do you it's sometimes and on you're Facebook, gonna ask it's... my black ass if I ever thought of West African religion. Here's why: because you, on Facebook sometimes you write, you, you like will bookmark a link and then you write for later. <laughs> I do that a lot, and then I yeah, never do come that back to it. <laughs> do you never come back to? Because once you you bookmark this article about how like a lot oh, of black snap. millennials are looking into Yoruba. Oh and yeah, stuff yeah, like that. yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. One of my professors. Um, <laughs> okay, now that makes sense. <laughs> I'm not just gonna like, a- ask a random ass like, question. I've got there's context. Like Andrew, the West African Bible salesman over here. <laughs> no, I want to hear about this. Yeah. Go so for the it. reason why I I think I actually did read that article. Um, mm-hmm. The reason why I bookmarked that for later is because a lot of my friends that are like black liberationists have mm. completely separated themselves from Christianity and have gone to either African religions or some form of like Afro, um, Afro like witchcraft. Like I actually have a lot of friends right now that are like very much so into um, witchcraft and it's like very mm. interesting to me. And it's not even like Wicca. Um, or Wiccan. Mm. Uh, it's like a blacker like West, version. Yeah, okay. So it's like yeah. West African divination, Yoruba. Yes. Like, so yes. when, when you say witchcraft, you don't mean like spooky Halloween witchcraft. Like, no. we're talking about actual spiritual practices. Yes, yes. Yeah. I feel like witchcraft actually kind of demeans it, but I don't know how else to frame it. So, yeah, yeah no, like I can say divination. Saying. But it also, it, it's interesting to me because it feels like such a direct response to white supremacy. And mm-hmm. I I want to respect people's religious leanings and why they come to where they're at in their faith. Um, mm-hmm. But so much of me also wants to be like, you know, like Christianity has just been tainted by white supremacy, but that's not what it, like, it is not at its yeah. root a white supremacist yeah. religion. Right. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's true, and we've talked about that before. I mean, speaking from my personal experience, like, there are parts of, like, Eastern religion, there are parts of, of Buddhism, there are parts of Taoism that really speak to, like, like really resonate with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet, like, despite that, like, Beth... Uh, you still describe yourself as a Jesus follower, mm-hmm. and I would too. Mm-hmm. So I guess my question is like, if all that mattered to us in terms of ma- picking mm. a spirituality that related to our context was decolonizing ourselves, then there are belief systems that we could choose. Mm-hmm. But we haven't done that. We still mm-hmm. believe in Jesus. And I guess my question is, why? Is that just you and Beth? <laughs> I didn't. I didn't hear you ask me, Andrew. <laughs> um, yeah, a little bit, Chris. Unless you want to talk about like why you don't. Uh, why your white to... ass still likes Christianity? I don't know. I don't even know I... what you are, Chris. Like Celt- Celtic mythology. <laughs> I. I mean, actually, I don't think you even have to go that deep. Like, <laughs> I would just not follow Jesus. Like that is what could, white people do. And I could just live mm-hmm. my life. Do that right. Mm. white people are just like i don't need a god fuck that give no, me I mean, my and, nintendo and seriously because like <laughs> because, right because all the systems support uh-huh. me right yes yes yeah you know that like actually actually, actually on on many days like my life would just be much easier if i gave this up like 
<laughs> I could just no for real. I could just I could yeah, just forget about the suffering of the world. Yeah, we shouldn't discount and, that. And and uh-huh. and I could I could watch Netflix with with my mm-hmm. PJs on all day long. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You could pick something else. You could pick, yeah. you know, capitalism. Or or just if you still believed in liberation, you could, you know, you could become a communist or something. Just you could blog. subscribe completely to a political ideology. White yeah. people follow social justice movements or commit mm-hmm. themselves to social justice movements just like the evangelicals of the 80s and 90s. Only Jesus is now Black Lives Matter or anti-racism or something yeah, like no that. Like or they're Marxism. just as intense as evangelicals were. Yeah. Right. So I want to answer I want to get to the the heart of this, which is like why choose Jesus? Why Jesus? Why the Jesus of the Gospels? Yeah. I've worked really hard to keep Jesus, right? Like at this point, Christianity is a part of my family culture, so it would be really hard um not to be a Christian. I don't mm-hmm. think that family culture should be the only reason that you um that you remain a Christian, but it certainly influenced my pursuit of Christianity. Um And in my choosing to pursue Christianity, I really fell in love with who Jesus actually was, right? Like once I was able to intentionally like read the text of James Cone and Mm -hmm. separate Jesus from a white supremacist Jesus, and I I saw how Jesus like was born of... um, you know, a single unmarried mother, right? Which Mm -hmm. is the story of so many of my friends, so many of the kids that I went to high school and college with, right? When I saw that um, Jesus was a brown man in a military Roman occupied land, like Mm -hmm. our city was over the summer, right? Or the experience of um, urban, I hate the word urban. I only, I feel like only white people use the word urban, but like (laughs) impoverished black Uh and brown communities that are over-policed. So police are waiting to arrest black and brown people, right? Like the story of Jesus so connects to my experience as a black person and the way he was so confident in his right to exist and his pursuit to free his people and to bring them into the true authentic love of God. Like I really fell in love with that. And to an extent, and this is not to alienate white people, but I actually think it should be harder for white people to relate to Jesus than Mm -hmm. it is for people of color. Like I think white people, I think I was taught that it was harder for me to relate to Jesus. But when I really started diving deeper into who he was and his experiences and the way he walked, I actually started feeling like, damn, it might be harder for white people to figure out how to relate to Jesus, Mm -hmm. particularly white Americans. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, like, I think from the standpoint of, like, there's the, there's the Jesus that's, like, really personal, you know, like, I, I'm a Christian, I have Jesus in my heart, um, Jesus talks to me. Jesus loves me. Like there's the individual one one to one connection that I think is like much easier for white people to connect to as mm-hmm. as people with all the power. It's what to do with that other piece where you need not only um, be one on one, but you need to relate to all God's people in all their forms. That's mm-hmm. the challenge. Mm-hmm. And Jesus and, did that well. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like there was a woman that. And I have trouble with this story uh, Mm because the woman that um, 
they brought to Jesus and they were like, she's fucking around on her husband. But like the husband wasn't there. The guy that was fucking around with her wasn't there. I have issues with that story. No but one was Jesus, stoning him. Nobody was stoning the men, right? The men have nothing to do with that story. But that's not, that's not the, uh, uh, the train that I'm going down. I don't, I don't know how to, I don't do well with idioms. Um, but like, Jesus was like, I mean, y'all be sinning too. So if one of y'all sinless motherfuckers uh, can please speak up, go on ahead. And everybody walks away. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. Jesus was so good at relating to the least of these, right? And I say that with quotes because I really think the least that he was talking about was those whom society deemed the least of these, right? Those whose society felt were subhuman, right? Mm -hmm. Like he was really good at relating to those people in ways that I feel like so many Christians now like totally forget about. Like the Bible to me is a text of love and it's a text that should include everybody and is written in a way that is inclusive. And I feel like when we get so committed to this one idea of Jesus or this really dogmatic understanding of the Bible, it excludes people from really getting to know the deep love of Jesus Christ. Like, mm -hmm. I, I think the Bible is more flexible than that. And when I started to understand the flexibility of the Bible, it mm -hmm. felt like it could speak to me and that I could speak back to it. Yeah. I totally agree in this uh, also because the ways that the inflexible ways we had t been taught to understand the Bible are almost unilaterally white ways of understanding the Bible. Mm -hmm. Systematic theology was invented by white theologians. <laughs> this is I, right. Lad, this is like something you would hear on like black AM radio, <laughs> 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 um, but it's, uh, it's true. Like that kind of modernistic enlightenment under mm -hmm. way of reading a text was invented by Western scholars mm -hmm. who wanted to apply scientific principles to the Bible. Mm -hmm. um, but the thing is, like, all truth is God's truth, mm -hmm. you know? And when you're, when you're white, they can have the truth and they read the Bible and they see the truth there and they see truths that they could see. Mm -hmm. But, like, there are other people that have been excluded from the discussion. And then when we read the Bible, when we see th this true thing and take mm -hmm. our truth to it, we, we can draw things out of it that... Um, these systematic theologians could never conceive of because mm -hmm. they haven't had those experiences. Exactly. Like, yeah. Like, like James Cone says, all theological language is interested language. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You have your, you have this lived experience and you look at the Bible and it's reflected in this, in this text. Um, so like your experience as a black woman, Beth, like you can see things in the Bible that no white person can conceive of because mm -hmm. they haven't had your experiences, things mm -hmm. that are true. Mm -hmm. Similarly, like, I, I relate to what you're saying, Beth, when you're talking about like looking at Jesus and relating to him, like the experience of just, <laughs> just like looking at the birth narrative of Jesus, like the idea of like, he was born, born on the road. And then immediately afterwards, he was like a refugee that went to in Egypt, mm -hmm. trying to survive. Mm -hmm. um, and then he comes back to his home, which is like a military occupied home. Mm hmm. Um, and he's like dealing with all these different cultures and he's like speaking Greek, he's speaking Aramaic. He's dealing with like this intermixing of these different things. He's and trying his, his best. dead to... by then too, probably. Right. He's like navigating the, the, like this, the, his family situation. Um, 
and like the idea that God, the creator of the universe, was a refugee mm-hmm. and an immigrant, mm-hmm. um, and had to navigate like, like I look at that story of, I mean, I I I might have said this before, but like the experience of like Mary and Joseph going to Bethlehem, mm-hmm. um, the the place of their fathers, like. I, I like I deeply connect to that experience of like oh it's like we go to this place that's the place of our fathers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like this Say place. Say more that, about that. I guess it's the idea of being away from home. Mm. I think that speaks like to the way that like this this experience of never quite belonging. Mm-hmm. Um, this experience of like having your home be occupied. Um, or like a place that you can't really go back to. I think everybody who is an immigrant or comes from an immigrant family in some sense relates to this idea. Um, and Jesus constantly like himself being a little bit out of place, mm-hmm. talking about his father mm-hmm. and people not quite understanding or talking about his kingdom and people not quite getting it. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm uh, getting fired up like I did again before, but like the way that you as a marginalized person, as mm-hmm. like a first generation American can have this, can have this ancient text. This text is mm-hmm. so fucking old, right? It really shouldn't make sense to us anymore. But the way you can still have it speak volumes to you and mm-hmm. so loudly that mm-hmm. is what the purpose of the Bible is, right? Like yeah. that is the purpose of our walk with Jesus as Jesus followers is to identify who we are and, mm-hmm. to, and to really connect with the Bible in a way that it hollers back at us. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, yeah, and if yeah. the Bible's not hollering back at you, we got to do some work. You know what I'm saying? Like there needs to be things yeah. about the Bible that speaks so loudly to you that it makes you join the fucking Christian revolution. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like this mm-hmm. life, this faith is a revolution. Like be present with the Bible so it can holler at you and you can be revolution. Like you can be, um, What's the word? Radicalized. You know yes. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Chris, I, I, we didn't really give you a chance to talk about because you raised a pretty legitimate point as to like, like why, like he, your life might be easier if you didn't believe. Certainly. I mean, so I, like why believe? Yeah, that's a really, I mean, I, I think that's what we're, we're doing. We're doing different work. Right, like that is very clear in this conversation. Like our, um, the work of people who the systems of power favor, who want to follow Jesus, have a different, um, have a different road to hoe, and that is, um, that's that's the message that Jesus has for the rich young ruler. It's it's one of equanimity and it's and it's one of sacrifice like you have to give up your power and your wealth um to to keep following me so like it's a really it's a really good question because like in that instance that guy didn't even do it and i'm i'm serious like when i when i like am calling people who are are dealing with like losing family inside the system Mm -hmm. like inside the like prison industrial complex and they are wrecked and their their children are wrecked and like their their kids are with their 
partners or their or their ex partners, and they're like doing like they're like working on custody things. Like none of this is my life. None of this is my fight. And a lot of me just wants to give up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, it's a really, really good question. Um, and it's, I, I Sounds think like you don't have an answer. Well, I, I don't know if I have a complete answer, but um, yeah. But also, like, I don't know at this point in my life what I would be without Jesus's love for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I can't walk away from that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and that love, that sacrifice, that being crushed, um, which includes me as a person who like very very much like if if like we were just going to straight transfer our stories back would probably be roman not jewish and not oppressed mm-hmm. like still has something for me mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so it's like that's a very inclusive love mm-hmm. um it's very difficult to run from once you've once you've known it and mm-hmm. so like it it does mean that like I kind of fight that impulse just to like hang up my hat and um, watch the world burn because I like I have Jesus is loving me. I actually care. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Um, We've been on this for almost two hours. I've missed forty minutes of twenty twenty. Sorry. Uh-oh. Oh my gosh, twenty twenty is still on. Yeah, it's two hours. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I think we've reached the end of this discussion. <laughs> Because 2020 is on. Because 2020 is on. Um, so let's um, let's wrap up with the way we usually wrap up, which is talking about whatever we're into this week. Beth, do you want to kick us off? Yeah. The idea of um, Christianity being a revolution and really needing to, like, tap into the revolutionary um, mm-hmm. nature of faith has been um, speaking to me because of our good friend, Rand's latest blog. He is the leader of our church's compassion team, um, Circle Peacemakers. Um, And he wrote a blog that's kind of like almost like step-by-step instructions on how to be like a Christian revolutionary. Um, Hmm. And it's it's called Talking About a Revolution. And you can read it at peacemaker.design.blogs. Oh, I almost said blogspot. So peacemaker.design.blog. I thought it was really, really good. Sweet. Chris? Um, I started listening to Jamar Tisby's newest book on audiobook. Nice. Oh, sweet. How to be an anti-racist. Um, we got to get them back. Yeah, we for Yes, sure we do. absolutely. Um, so get on it. Read it. Um, you know, of course... If you just started listening to us, you have to go back to the Jamar Tisby episode to know what I'm talking about. Um, I wish I knew what episode that was, so I could rattle it off. I was like, should I look it up? Right, let's case, look it up um, real quick. I think it's 26. Yeah. 32. Am I right? It's uh, Jamar Tisby episode is 26. I was oh, right. Wow. That memory. That memory. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, listen to episode 26, y'all. Yep. And get the book. Sweet. Um, I am into um, somebody in my neighborhood. Uh, I, I, these days, because of pandemic times, walking around is the only th- entertainment I have. <laughs> so down on Frankfurt and Susquehanna, 
somebody made a labyrinth in the park. Oh, There's wow. Like a lot, that's a park. But they made like, they just made a stone labyrinth in the park. And walking the labyrinth as a meditative practice hmm. has been incredibly life-giving for me. Just. That sounds amazing. Just yeah, it does. Step by step walking this path, this winding path to the center and using that as like a meditative practice. It's been great. So um, I don't know who that person is, but you know, thanks for the labyrinth. It's been great. <laughs> uh, and I've been able to, you know, I, I typically stop by Franny Lou's porch on the way down there, get a tea, walk the labyrinth. It's a good time. <laughs> I, I want, I, I want Andrew to like, as a, as a result of this podcast, start a podcast on meditation called thanks for the labyrinth <laughs> that would be great <laughs> uh-huh all right sweet um so a special thanks to luke bartolome our communications manager and to jared selby who is our theme song and let us know what you think of our uh podcast y'all we're going on almost two years i can't wait to do another anniversary episode um but mm. yeah we're in a new year it's 2021 and we want to know what you guys are thinking about when it comes to following jesus um and what how you're following jesus yourself so make sure you go to our website colorcorrectionpodcast.com drop us a line and let us know what you're thinking so with that being said it's a new year. It's a new year to stay black, little mermaid. So stay black, little mermaid. I'm watching this video of Obama. I've seen this video before. He's the only one that has an umbrella. So everybody gets under the umbrella with him. I am an avid not umbrella sharer. What? It never works. It never fucking works. We just both end up wet. Yeah, but it's the thought that counts. Uh, it's very impractical. I do not like sharing umbrellas. I will if it's like one time real quick. Mm. I would even probably give somebody my umbrella and prefer to walk in the mm. rain That's than nice. the like impracticality and performance of both of us being under this umbrella as <laughs> if we're not both getting fucking that. wet. One I love of my that performance. I hate it. One of my friends <laughs> in college would <clears throat> always refuse to keep her umbrella with her and mm. depend on me having an umbrella and it would oh, make me cool. so mad like it's one thing if it happens once or twice bruh it's the spring mm -hmm. this can't happen all semester long so ever since uh -oh. then I, in fact i think i bought two umbrellas and kept one in my backpack at one point so i could just hand her an umbrella like wow, no this doesn't her. work this doesn't work we both end up wet it's <laughs> a whole other level just carrying an umbrella for her that's like a whole other thing though it's like way She's, that's way more thoughtful she was so ridiculous like you have an umbrella. You never take it out of our dorm. Like, I'll just get one of those little mini ones and keep it for your dumbass. And then I had like a big sturdier one. It's better to live your life as ridiculous, isn't it? Because look what people do for you. <laughs> they yeah, bring they an extra bring umbrella. umbrellas for you. That's I mean, not nothing. what are we, like? What are we working so hard for? <laughs> 
maybe <laughs> maybe I'm more of a like a Trump supporting conservative than I think. Like I don't I don't feel like I should share my resources, <laughs> my umbrella resources. That's gotta be it. Yep. This is you slipping into conservatism slowly and surely. It starts with the umbrella. Mm -hmm. They say that, like, the older you get, the more conservative you get, so. Where does that put me if I wear a raincoat as a rule? I don't even play that game. You can't really share a raincoat. No, No. that's just it. And, and like, as as a raincoat wearer, I find umbrella people ridiculous because I'm just like, I'm having to dodge your dumb ass all the time to get to any place. (laughs) Yeah, but you get so wet in a raincoat. No. Like, your clothes don't get wet, but, like, until you take the raincoat off, your person is wet. And I don't like to be wet. I don't want a drop of rain. Like, I get gigantic umbrellas if I can. <laughs> so nothing gets wet around me. I even had yep. the clear one that was a dome at one point in time that but covers you, know many, you. You know how many raincoats I've had in the last three years? How many? One. How many umbrellas have you had? This is a good point. I have had a lot of umbrellas. I would say I got steady though. I got one free umbrella <laughs> from, I got a free umbrella from um, the Blood Bank of Delmarva and that shit slaps. It is an incredible umbrella. It's a really good umbrella. So I've had that umbrella? one two years. Two years, jeez. Two years. Free Blood Bank of Del. Thank you Blood Bank of Delmarva if you listen to okay. this podcast. <laughs> thank you. They're like, for yeah, that. we have no idea what we got that Beth, but thank you. <laughs> I don't know. I'm with, I'm, I'm, with, I'm with Chris on this, but just because I think raincoats look cool. <laughs> raincoats do not look cool. I think they look cool. Overcoats are in general are cool. Well, I don't. No, know that's I, not I what he wears. Yeah, I don't what think do that wear? what I have is like. I have like the the like close fitting raincoat. <clears throat> well, and I and I I have it because I bike. It's One like a slicker. It. Yeah, it's like a slicker onesie. Oh, slicker. All right. I take back what I said. (laughs) But. And he has boots too. So he tucks the pants of them into the boots. You don't get wet. Yeah. You definitely don't get wet. Like, I got got it all. Yeah. Yeah. And I've had those same rain pants now for for self. Like, I don't lose the shit. That's, That's the big difference. Like, and you're a biker, so I guess you mm-hmm. you couldn't well you couldn't have no. <laughs> Can you imagine? Like that would be ridiculous. You <laughs> just like you'd be fighting and falling the whole time. <laughs> it is a really good gag. I want to see somebody do that, but I don't ever want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, guys! It's eight thirty, and twenty twenty comes on in twenty five minutes. Oh no. Oh, you're never gonna be a good one. You're never gonna know who murdered the. <laughs> All right, let's get started here. I'll do my best I to can't remember. Can't believe we just bullshitted for thirty minutes when 2020 is coming on. I'm just trying know. to give Andrew some good outtakes. That's all. <laughs> we haven't had an outtake on the podcast in a long time. You, you obviously don't think we're funny anymore, Andrew. It's just a lot of work. It's just, just a lot of work to find it. I feel like this banter <laughs> has been top-notch and he's probably it has to be like a a minute of top-notch banner like just a straight minute just (laughs) a minute of gold banner this has been like seven minutes of decent banner 
Andrew wants to censor us. Andrew wants to censor free us. Speech. Free speech. Free speech. All right. Free speech. We are recording. Oh All right. Let's get let's get into this for real. <laughs>